0: You're a guest. I always get a proverb out, and today's the 13th, so I chose a verse out of chapter 13, and here's the verse I chose today, verse 10. Pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well advice is wisdom. Yeah, amen to that. And um, so, Lord, as we get into your word today, I pray God that the truth, the life, and the hope that is that embedded in your word. Would make its way into our souls, and Lord, every other comment that might come from this mouth—that's chaff. Let it blow away, by so um, blow away, Lord, by by the wind of Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. <laughs> so today's the last um, in, the, in this kind of mini series that I've been doing from the Book of First Peter, where if you read the book overall in context, is He's basically telling you if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to be different, and uh, different in a good way and his writing style is very very direct. He says some things and he doesn't pull his punches and he says some things over and over and over in that in that whole book. You can read it in 10 minutes. It doesn't take very much. I mean I encourage you to do that. Sit down, just read through the whole book of 1st Peter at some point. But he says this over and over and over again that this world is not your home. He says it over and over and over. He says if you are a follower of Jesus that you're called to be set apart. You're called to be different. You're called to be holy. Now, don't let that word "holy" scare you. Okay, um, the word literally means "whole," and uh, and it means whole with a connotation of being uninjured. Peter says we're to be set apart, we're to be different. We're to be holy. Holy, and uh, you know, if you if you were here last week, then you know this passage. But if you weren't, we, we learned this, um, and, and we learned this this very direct scripture that talks about how God sees His followers. Here is what He says about this in First Peter verse or chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. There it is, right there. That's what God says about you, followers. And you know, today as we get through this, where we're going to go as we wrap up some of the passages we 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 are going to go through today. I've heard other preachers preach on these passages, and they made comments like that. You know, about these passages that this is this will be the most encouraging message that you never wanted to hear. And I'll, I'll let you figure out why as we get to that. So here we go. Jesus makes a lot of promises, by the way, in his, words, in his word to us. Lots and lots of promises. But before we go there, I want to talk about a couple things that Jesus did not promise to us. Okay, He never promised that everybody was going to get rich. He never promised that it would never rain on your vacation, made no such promise. You know, when I, when I was thinking about that and come, you know, co- going through these examples, it reminded me when I first went to work at this big corporation a long, long time ago, eons ago, okay? Um, uh, and, and they were taking me through orientation and um, it was a big corporation and you know, here's all this HR stuff that enough to make your head spin. And they explained to me about taking vacation that if you go on vacation and you get sick, while you're on vacation, you call your supervisor, you call in sick, from your own vacation. Now some of you are going, of course, why wouldn't you do that? To me that was a shock. You call in sick on your own vacation and it counts as sick time, we'll make sure later you get an actual vacation where you didn't get sick. (coughs) Does this happen where you work? (laughs) Okay. Some of you are going. Well, of course, that's my right not to be sick on my vacation. Jesus didn't promise you that. Anyway, I was kind of shocked, and I'm um, just thinking, okay, whatever, that's great. Um, they're going to guarantee me a vacation, and I'm not going to be. Sick. That's a pretty good promise if your employer can deliver, right? But, but, but I. Anyway, so he. Jesus never promised you anything like that. He, he never promised that you're never going to get your heart broken. He never promised that you would never get a flat tire. I know that's factual because um, he, he, you know, he, he just never made a lot of promises. There's, there's a lot of things he didn't promise, but there are some things that he did promise. And some of the things you want to hear about, some of them you might not want to hear about. But one of the things that he promised, is if you're a faithful follower of his, if you're set apart, if you're different, Jesus promised that the world would hate us. Jesus made a promise that the world would persecute us. And so um, I'm just you know, right now, I'm, I'm glad you came today. I'm here to make you feel good and to encourage you. How are you feeling so far? <laughs> okay, I'm failing as a pastor. I'll keep going. No, so if, if we're going to just start with the words of Jesus, um, and then we'll get into 1 Peter. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. So today we're going to talk about a different perspective in persecution. Now, in case you weren't here for um, some of the previous parts of this service, here's some background about what was going on in, first, in the book of First Peter, what this letter, who, who he was writing it to, in addition to you and me. Peter was writing this to first century Gentile Christians, non-Jewish people. And uh, they were living um, in a time of extreme persecution under a guy named Nero, who was uh, um, just, he was a very, very, very evil man. And he, 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 was a, he tortured a lot of people and, and um, just a terrible, uh, evil emperor, Nero. He, he murdered his own mother okay? He murdered his first wife. Most historians think that he probably also murdered his second wife, and uh, most of them also chalk him up with credit for setting Rome on fire. The backstory there was he wanted to do a big building program. He wanted to build something. The Senate said no, and so he lit the place on fire. Sounds like politics today, doesn't it? (laughs) It's really stupid for a pastor to ever go political in a a pulpit, but i just... just, Okay. Anyway, so... (laughs) I, that's neither for or against what's going on in politics. I just see parallels and it makes me chuckle. Okay, so by the way, there is no government on this earth that is perfectly designed. I will make this political statement a perfect government is a benevolent monarchy ruled by a godly king, there's only one. And we'll have that someday. Anyway, so um, he, this guy's pretty terrible. He murders his mom, his, his first wife, his second wife. He sets Rome on fire. And then to make things worse, Christians who were already pretty despised and, and hated, he blames it on them. They did it. Those Christians did it. And so people who were already um, kind of put upon were, it just got way, way, way worse. And uh, this, this group of people were, this is to whom he wrote the letter. 1 Peter. Now, today, today, on our earth, persecution happens, and the kind of persecution against Christians depends on where you are in the world. Um, for some people, it's really extreme. Here in the United States, it may not be as extreme. Nevertheless, persecution here is very, very real. And I, I hope you understand that in the world today, there, there, uh, there is some extraordinary persecution against Christians going on. In fact, most people would argue that persecution is at its highest, absolute highest level today that it's ever been anywhere in the history of the world. Um, go ahead. Yeah, there we go. So there's, there's, a, there's an organization that tracks um, persecution against Christians, and I'm not talking about they happen to be Christians and something bad happens to them. I'm talking about people who have bad things happen to them because they are Christians. Okay. So according to Christianity Today, who, and, they, and there's organizations that track this, For the third year in a row, the modern persecution of Christians worldwide has hit another record high. It's at the highest it's ever been, and every year it's getting worse than it was the year before. In fact, the statistics are kind of staggering. Here are a few. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we don't hear about this a lot. We don't want to hear about this a lot, but here are some statistics for you. In an average month worldwide, 300 people are killed because they follow Jesus. In an average month, over 200 churches are burned or destroyed, Christian churches. In an average month, another 800 people somewhere in the world will be beaten, tortured, raped, or imprisoned because of they follow Christ. So where you live can affect how severe the persecution is that you encounter. In some parts of the world, you, you, you maybe you'll lose a family member. Another part of the world, maybe you'll lose a job. Another part of the world, maybe you'll be beaten because you stand for Christ. In another part of the world, you know, you may mean you're not invited to a party. Well, it's all persecution. Jesus said, if you follow me, the world will hate you and you'll be persecuted. And Peter talks a lot about this subject. um, and, And I think that some of the things he says will actually inspire your faith. And build your faith a little bit. So let's get in. Let's see where he where he goes in this. First Peter chapter four. Um, here we go, verse twelve. Dear friends, stop being surprised by the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, Hey, what are you? Why are you being surprised? What's what's the big surprise here? Now, I, he's telling these people who are hurting. He's talking to hurting people. Seems kind of insensitive, but he's right up there, direct, right? He's telling these hurting people, don't be shocked. Don't be so surprised because if you're living boldly for Jesus, you're going to face opposition. And I want to say to you, dear church family members, that you know, if, if you are living boldly, if, you, if, if, you're, if you're living set apart, if you're living different, don't be surprised and shocked when you're being criticized out there, when you're being ridiculed, when you face spiritual opposition. Don't be surprised. I'm probably not telling you anything you hadn't figured out already. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I, I can't really think of a time that I really faced any opposition for my faith. Okay, let's just start right there and maybe try to understand you know, potentially why that might be. This. Just, let's just make up a scenario. Let's just say it's basketball season and um, I'm on a basketball team and you're on a different basketball team and we're, our teams are facing each other. And you're, you're my appointment, opponent and you're out there on the court playing basketball and I'm not. I'm on the bench and um, you're doing your thing and every once in a while you look over and you see me and you're thinking, oh, that guy might come in and play against me. Um, and, but you notice that I'm not really paying attention to the game. I got a water bottle and I'm flipping it and I'm playing little games on it or maybe I've got my phone out and I'm playing some game or I'm taking selfies and posting them Um, or maybe I'm flirting with a really cute cheerleader named Lisa. (laughs) Hey, it's possible. Um, And so the buzzer happens and they call my number and they put me in the court. Now, if you've been watching all that, are you gonna be way, way concerned that I'm gonna come in and, you know, now you're probably going, ah, okay, whatever. This guy doesn't even know which of the water bottle you put in your... He's just not... If, on the other hand, I'm focused, and I come in there and I've got my game face on... <laughs> that's not my game face. I'm not going to show you my real game face. I don't really have a game face. But if I come in there and I've got... Uh, you can see it in my eyes, and you can see it in my posture, and you can see that there's something burning down in my soul, and that the ball is going to go into the basket... Um, are, should you be concerned about me now? The answer is, yeah, you're going to probably play me a little differently if you see that I'm engaged and I'm involved in the game. Same true with spiritual things. If you are on Team Jesus, if you believe in Christ and you're on the bench and you're, you, you've are you got the jersey on but you're not in the game, yeah, yeah maybe you'll come to church every week and you... You do that because that's what you do when you're on the team. You'll be at the game, but you're really not engaged. You're, you're really not praying for miracles. You're not boldly going into the throne and, and asking God to intervene. You're not absolutely convinced and driven by the fact that God loves his children and he will help them and he hears prayers. And, and um, so you're just not, you know, you've got gifts and talents, but you're not really using them. You're not really believing that God intervenes. You know you can make a difference. You know it, but you're letting other people play the game instead. You're not giving generously. You have resources, but you don't ever take time to say, God, how can I be a part of what you're doing in your world? You, you know, you, you, you. Instead of helping people and influencing people and making a difference, you believe in Jesus, but you're never got the the, the gumption to actually share Him or invite someone to church to hear the good news. Or, you know, you're not building your faith. Now. In this example, do you think that the enemy has got a plan that he's way, way ready to launch for you? Because the answer is no. He doesn't need to have a plan for you. You're not an invested part of the game. If, on the other hand, you are invested, and you're engaging, and you're standing for righteousness, you're, you can believe me that your spiritual enemy takes notice of that. And you will face opposition. Opposition. It's like, it's like a soldier going into a field. A soldier goes into war, and you know, he's not going to come running back to the commanding officers. Hey, hey, they're shooting real bullets at me. The officer's going to go, well, what did you think? This is a war. It's real. We're ex- you know, Expect that. We have to understand Christianity is, is not, it's not a social club, and it's not a playground. It's an actual battleground. And we're at war against spiritual forces that, that are forces of darkness, We're involved in a very, very real spiritual battle. And when you engage in that battle, you will face opposition. You will. And if you've never faced any uh, sense of real spiritual opposition before, maybe it's because you're just not on the front lines. Maybe it's because you're just not in the battle in the way that the Lord would want you to be engaged in the battle. And Peter says, hey, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're facing. Now, it's likely, I think, that's my opinion, that uh, it's likely that Peter was actually being fairly literal in this. Because one of Nero's favored forms of torture and execution of Christians was, um, I've got too many young ones, but I would just say this, that, they, that he would torture them and it involved fire. And it became the lights for his garden. It was just terrible kind of things he would do. And so when he said, don't be surprised about the fiery ordeals, he could have been talking about somebody's cousin or something that had happened to someone. And I, I think if Peter were writing this letter today, he might have used another example. He might have used the exact same words, but he might have adjusted it. If he was talking to somebody in the Middle East, he might say, "You know, don't be surprised if you lose a loved one. Because they trust in Christ, or um, or don't be surprised if your family turns on you. Don't be surprised if you if you face extraordinary danger because of your stance for Christ. If if, if in the Middle East, if 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 he was going to say this to a freshman girl, young woman attending the University of Washington, he might say, "Don't be surprised if you don't get asked on a second date because of your stance for purity on your first date." I mean, it would, come, it would become different. He might say, don't, don't be surprised if people make fun of you at work or at school because you're following Jesus and you're engaged in your church ministry. Don't be surprised, Peter said, at the fiery trial that you're facing. It's because you're in the game. It's because you're in the game. You're on the front lines. You're making a difference. You're somehow rattling hell. And um, don't be surprised that you face opposition. Then he goes on, and, 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 and this is, you know, I, I, I told you, one pastor who talked about this pastor said, this is the most encouraging message you never want to hear. Here we go. 1 Peter um, 4, verses 12 and 13. Ver- I'm going to start, go back to 13. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his sufferings. This, that's being different. Be glad, be thankful when you're persecuted for your faith. You'll be par- partners with Christ so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Why is it that so many of us might say, well, I've never really experienced anything like this? First off, I don't think necessarily it's your fault. I mean, I think our culture is very, very persuasive with what culture says. Our culture basically says that the most important thing is the pursuit of comfort, think that through. That's what our culture's primary message is. The pursuit of, cult, cult, of comfort is the most... I think... It, and I want to be honest. If I'd rather have a very comfortable conversation than a really confrontational one. I'd rather have that. <laughs> Wouldn't you? No, I want you to have a No, I mean, I'm, I'm, I really would. I would just... I mean, I'd rather have a nice, easy day than a painful one. Right? Yeah. yeah. Comfort is, is something that it gets ingrained into us, even us Christians, when we pray. You know, because an awful lot of the things we pray, it, it sounds like we're pursuing comfort at all costs. The things, the simple things, you know, and, and we'll use the name of Jesus, we'll invoke the name of Jesus, and, 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 and now listen, hold on, buckle your seatbelts, don't get mad at me until I get to the end of the point, okay? Because halfway through it, you'll be mad at me. I don't want you mad at me, Okay? Okay? Say okay, I'll go to the end. Okay, I'll go to the, okay, okay. So um, I mean, an awful lot of the things that we pray, it sounds something like this: God, help me have a good day. God, 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 bless us. God, keep us safe. God, God, help, help, help us. Bless this day. Those are good prayers. You should pray them. But if your prayers always stop there. And don't go on to, and Lord, help me to have a heart that's able to stand up against opposition. If they stop short of, of, of that, your prayers tend to be focused about your own comfort. And I'm challenging you with that lovingly. Nothing wrong with those prayers. You should pray them. The essential thing is that, that the, when your prayers stop at that point, it's like you want to avoid all conflict. It's like, you know, let's dodge the opposition. Let's just, you know, Lord, can you lay out for me the path of least resistance? Well, how does that play out? Well, you know, maybe you're at a party and you just decide to kind of go ahead and give in. So you just do whatever everybody else is doing. And why? It's because you don't want to make a scene. You don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. You want to just kind of fit in. Or... Maybe you're at work, and one of the other people at work lets um, out a terrible, off-color joke. And instead of saying, "You know what? Hold on. That's that's just really inappropriate. That's dishonoring." And instead of instead of helping them to grow, you just kind of laugh. I've done that before. I can true, you know, full disclosure here. I've done that before because I didn't want to make a scene. I don't try to do that any longer. But there were times, and it's, it's understandable. You go along, you get along kind of a thing. Or maybe um, somebody asks you, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Christ? And, and you say, yeah. And, and you, you admit it after you're asked, but you didn't want to lead with it because you don't want to be known as that guy. Because you, you, you know the way the people at the office will talk about people and carve into people, and you don't want to be that guy. So you just kind of you know undercover Christian. So I wanna just describe two different lifestyle cycles, okay? Two different lifestyle cycles. And uh, as we consider these two examples, I want you to kind of think this through and just ask yourself this question. Ask yourself, which one of these two cycles better represents my life over the last seven days? Which one of these two? Okay, so um, when when culture says, above all else, let's pursue comfort. We wanna be happy. So we're going to pursue comfort. And uh, when we pursue comfort, that kind of forces us to, in many ways, to avoid any opposition. I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to you know, make anybody mad. I just want to have a good day. The problem is that when we avoid opposition, our faith kind of tends to weaken you know, it's, it, our faith weakens for some reason. We don't. When that happens, we just don't feel quite as close to Christ, and so then we wake up one day and we kind of start feeling a little, maybe empty, maybe very empty. In fact, life feels so empty that there's got to be something more. So you start looking for something more. What is it that I can find? I start to pursue comfort again. And now I'm back at the top of the stack. And maybe something, maybe some place, maybe some relationship, whatever it is, I'm gonna find something that's gonna fill that void and um, that's the cycle. Okay, so second lifestyle. Uh, so, so that, that lifestyle so, uh, cycle was comfort, opposition weakens our faith, life is empty and so forth. There's another way to live and I will warn you right now, you gotta be different to do this. You gotta be different. And the only way that you can live like this is when you recognize that you're a foreigner here, okay? Um, when in Rome, do as in Rome. That does not work if you're a Christian. You, you, scripture says you're a stranger, you're a pilgrim, you're a sojourner. Those are the words that Peter uses. He, he says you're just passing through. And so you, you actually, Christians, know you've come from a heavenly place, okay? So you're, that's, that's your home. You serve a king that is not of this world, And um, his standards are very, very, very different than the teachings of the world. He does things like, you know, love when people hate you. You're supposed to love them back. Um, You're supposed to give even when people take advantage of you. You're supposed to turn the other cheek. A bunch of things that are different according to this king than what culture says. His teachings are radically different. (coughs) They're completely different. Okay, so when you live this alternate lifestyle, here's what this looks like. When you live boldly for Christ. I mean, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe this. I care about you because this is the, the, the Savior that's in my heart. When you, when you live boldly, you find yourself standing up. You're, you're sharing about Jesus. You're, you're expressing his love in different ways. And why do you do that? It's because you're in the game. It's because you're making a difference. And then you, you, you will face opposition. When you share those things, Scripture has told us, and you know you will face opposition. But when you face opposition, your fe- faith tends to strengthen a little bit. You start feeling like, okay, this is something I'm partnering with Christ. I'm, I'm getting stronger, and there's something about you when you're living by faith, and, and you're a little bit on the edge. You're living by faith, not by sight. And then one day you wake up, and you feel like, you know what? I, I feel closer to Christ than I was before. I'm partnering with Christ, and I can sense this, and I know this. His word's alive to me, and, and he's guiding me. He's ordering my steps through the day. And somehow you find yourself, because of that, you're actually more bo- living more boldly than you were before, and now you're at the top of that stack. Two different alternate lifestyles. Can we, leave the, can we leave that? Can we go to the next one that shows both of them? I think the next one might show both of them in bright. Sorry to, to do that, Marlene, if I'm... I might have gone right out of my service order. I'm sorry to do that. So find it if you can and put it up. So I want you to think about those two life cycle, cycles for just a minute and ask yourself that question. Which one of those best represents your life over the last week? There it is. Were you always comfortable avoiding any kind of trouble, kind of not really that close to Jesus Empty, like pursuing comfort. Or instead, were you living boldly? Facing some opposition and, and realizing I'm closer to Christ than I was before. And, and because of my obedience, and it stirs you up to even be more boldly. Which one would you say best represents you in the last week? And when you're different from this world, okay, that's long enough. When you're different from this world, they will not, they will not always like you out there. But those trials are going to make you partners with Christ, um, verse 19. Now, this is a wonderful promise um, that, that Peter brings us from God. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. Keep on doing what is right. Keep on doing what is right. Parents, this is really good for children. <laughs> so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. Oh baby, he will never, ever fail you. That is a life principle to live by. I mean, listen, it's a life principle. I try to live by this and I don't always do it. I, 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 it it's, I, but I, I pray that the truth in this scripture would get down into speak to somebody's heart. And here's this principle. In every area Of your life, in your family, in your finances, in your relationships, in your work life, whatever, you know, wherever you're peer pressured, in every area of your life, do what's right and trust God with the results. In every area of your life, do what's right and trust God with the results. In every area of your life, do what's right and trust God with the results. Do what's right and trust God with the results. That's what Jesus' followers do. We do what's right and trust God with the results. There's something pristine about that. Scripture t- teaches us that it's better to obey than to sacrifice. Sacrifice is what you brought in payment uh, for your failure. That's the whole idea of sacrifices. One of the ideas of sacrifices. And God says it's better to obey. And, and when you follow this plan, you're saying, God, this is your, you're, the, you're the engineer here. My role is to obey you're responsible for results, God. Did you know that? You're only accountable to obey the Lord. He's accountable for results. Anyway, do what's right and trust God with the results. And, um, you know, as followers, that's what we do. We don't cut corners. We don't, we don't take shortcuts. We don't do what we think will get us to the end resu- result faster. We don't re-engineer God's plan. We do what's right and trust God with the results. We do what's right in our relationships and we trust God. If we have to have a hard conversation, we have a hard conversation. If we have to confess something, we confess something. If we have to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Even if it's going to cost me something, we stand up and say, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Even if it costs me something. In, 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 as Jesus' followers, we do what's right and trust God with the results. We do what's right and trust God. you see and I'm trying to get that down into your soul. We do what's right and trust God with the results. And if you're like this world, the world's going to love you as its own, and you won't be persecuted if you're like the world. But if you're following Jesus, you're not going to be like the world. You won't raise your kids the way the world raises their kids. You won't use your money the way the world uses its money. You won't, you'll, you'll have different morals from the world. You'll have different values from the world. You'll have different types of conversations than the world will have. You'll, have. you'll be different at work than the world is at work. If you're not like this world, guess what? The world will hate you at times. <laughs> I'm not supposed to encourage you. I'm just telling you the truth. And it's not fun. But when a follower of Christ does what's right... It builds a boldness in us, and it makes you different. Now, sometimes this topic generically comes up, and people will read the news, and they'll ask me questions. You know, it it, it seems like persecution is getting a little closer to home. I don't know if you noticed that map. That map was talking about pretty violent forms of persecution, and Mexico was on the list. In fact, Mexico is fairly significant on the list about Christianity. It doesn't hit the news a lot. Um, and, and even in the United States, and even in Canada, you see things being required of and, and done to Christians that 10 years ago was unimaginable. It's getting closer to home. And people say, it's getting closer to home. Does this concern you? And I have to say, no. Not a bit. Not even a little bit. I mean, it's not that I feel like I'm somehow Superman and I, you know, whatever. I'm just, I, I just think that if it, 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 where we live... In the United States, I think it's fairly easy to claim to be a Christian. It's very, very easy. In fact, it's so easy that many people claim to be Christians and they really aren't. And I think that sometimes a little persecution will help winnow that out a bit. Um, I mean, it's like uh, it, when, when the test comes will determine what's chaff and what blows away and what remains. And um, I think followers of Christ, if we're followers, if we're truly believers um, and we know and we believe that eternity rests in the hands of God and we really believe that he says what he says, then we're going to be willing to stand for those things and, um, and know in the same time that we will be persecuted for it. So no, I'm not. I think if we look at those two lifestyles, maybe one more time, it might be the next slide, and ask ourselves again, which is the one that best represents us? Are you like most people? Is life about you? Is life about your comfort? Is life about what can I get? Then you're always going to try to avoid opposition. You're always going to have faith that's getting weaker. Life will seem more empty and you're going to be on this continual pursuit of, of something that's going to matter to you. Or if you, have, if you have died to yourself, baptism, great explanation. Thank you, Pastor Eric. I mean it's great. It's this representation of dying to yourself and rising in Christ. It's a great great picture. If you've done that, if you're if you're letting Christ boldly live through you and and you, yeah, sure, you're going to face some opposition. But your faith is going to be growing stronger. You're going to be getting closer to Christ. And something in you is going to be building your faith is going to be building in you. Which which one of those two best represent, represents you? And in chapter 5 We're going to get to where Peter is wrapping up his letter. And remember, he's speaking to people who are grieving. They're grieving in the persecution that they're dealing with. And watch what he says. Verse 5. And all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. Verse 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares for you. Many of you know that scripture. Cast all your cares on God, for He cares for you. There's an old worship song, that and it, it's it's and I want to I, I do want to just kind of slow down for just a minute and recognize that there are a lot of people in this room that are hurting today, and some of us are hurting for all kinds of reasons and for any reason if you were in in pain. Peter is telling us that we're to give our cares to God. Give your cares to God. I mean, a lot of the translations, if you look at, it doesn't say give your cares, it says cast your cares. That word, the original Greek word, it's actually a fishing term, right? Cast. Now, in their context, it would be casting a net. But casting with a rod and a reel, it's the same. It's the same concept. Cast it out there, and um, you cast it all the way to God. And they would cast their nets on the water. And Peter says, "Cast your cares on God." Why would he say that? The answer comes right after that. Because he cares for you. Cast your cares on God because he cares for you. If you're living different, if you're being bold in Christ, you're going to face some spiritual opposition. And then what do you do? Well, you let it build your faith and cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. And then this is how Peter wraps this up verses 10 and 11. In His kindness, God called you to share His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little, <laughs> after you've suffered a little while, this is what He's going to do He will restore, support, and strengthen you, and He will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Well, wow. hear the word of the, the the word of God, loved ones. Just because you're suffering doesn't mean God doesn't love you or that you're not following. In fact, it may be a direct indication that you're in the game. But after you've suffered a little while, he will restore you, support you, strengthen you. If you continue to do what's right, and trust Him, you're going to see the faithfulness of God. You will see it. He'll never fail you, He'll never leave you, and He'll never forsake you. God called you to be different. He called you to be holy and set apart. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, um,